Welcome to an audio teaching from Windsor Park Baptist Church in Auckland, New Zealand. If you would like to look at the message notes or see some questions for reflection that take their lead from today's teaching, head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz and head to the online tab where you'll see services and series and you can download different resources from there. Thanks for joining us and we hope you're encouraged by today's teaching. Kia koutou katoa. I hope that you've had a great start to the new year and that you've got to enjoy some time with family and friends. We're currently in the third week of our sermon series called Habits That Keep Us Growing. Today I want to focus on habits that help us to live out God's mission. So if you have your Bibles, please open them to Luke chapter 4. We'll be reading from verses 13 through to 22. Leading up to this passage, Jesus was baptised and then he went into the wilderness for 40 days where he was tempted by the devil. It says, when the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, uh, to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the Uh, the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then Jesus rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him, and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. When Jesus started his ministry, he did two things. The first was he called his disciples. He invited people to come and to follow him. And the second thing that he did was he began to preach about the kingdom of God. In verse 21, when Jesus says, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, he is referring to Isaiah chapter 61. And he is claiming that he is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. And in doing so, he is ushering in the kingdom of God. He is bringing heaven down to earth. What does this kingdom look like? It's good news to the poor. It's freedom for the prisoners. It's sight for the blind. It is sending the the oppressed free. It's everything that he talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. It's what he conveys in the parables. It is the redemption and renewal of people and places. As all things are reconciled back to and under God. As followers of Jesus, we are to participate with him in this mission. And not only are we we called to share about Jesus, but we are also called to care for the lost, the least, and the last. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, we see that this is what the early church devoted themselves to. They demonstrated radical love and generosity and hospitality that was vastly countercultural to the rest of society. 
and people saw it and they wanted to be a part of it. Imagine if that's what people thought about the church today. As many of you would know, uh, last year Grant and I did a trip to Kolkata uh, to see some of the work within uh, that our wider Baptist family are involved in. And then we went to a conference in Singapore where we got to meet and worship alongside other Baptist leaders from the Asia-Pacific region. It was an eye-opening trip that left me with a lot to ponder on, particularly seeing the extreme poverty and the daily hardship that many people are facing. One day we went for a walk through a village which makes most of their money by rolling beedies, which are essentially cigarettes. Today, mother, uh, together, mothers and their children would sit by their doorways, hand-rolling hundreds of beedies to make just a few dollars a day. As we were walking through the village, we met a friendly woman who invited us to her house for some cha or some chai tea. I say house, but really it was a two-by-two-meter room where she lived with her husband and two children. They couldn't help but laugh because I could barely fit in the room. She asked why we were in the area, and when our guide told her about the sewing business, she asked him for a job. She explained that between her and her husband, they only make 10,000 rupees, or the equivalent of 195 New Zealand dollars a month, and she said that it was hard to survive. She didn't tell us what she did. However, later that afternoon, we saw her sitting at the edge of a brothel. It turns out that she has been working as a sex worker since her early teens. Not because she wants to, but because that's what she must do for her family to survive. You know, the biggest difference between me and, and her is not anything that either of us have done, but it is simply the situations that we have been born into. And that is a reality for a significant part of our world. According to recent statistics from World Vision, 719 million people, 9.2% of the world population, are currently living on less than $2.15 a day. Children and youth account for two-thirds of the world's poor, and women represent a majority in most regions. 24% of the world's total population, which equates to 1.9 billion people, live in fragile contexts characterized by impoverished conditions and dire circumstances. By 2030, more than half of the world's poor will live in fragile contexts. About, 60, about 63% of people older than 15 who live in extreme poverty have no schooling or some form or only some form of basic education. In 1.2 billion and 111 developing countries live in multidimensional poverty, accounting for 19% of the world's population. We've all heard statistics like this before. We've all heard the stories, and many of us have been to places where we have seen the suffering for ourselves. But it's easy to hear or to see it and to go back to our everyday lives. I'll be the first to admit that I'm guilty of this. Over the last few months, I've thought a lot about what are some of the barriers that stop us from engaging in God's mission to the last, the least, and the lost. There's lots of things that have come to mind, but I just want to focus on three that I think are, are huge for me, and I would suggest us here at Windsor Park. The first one is self-centeredness. You know, I've done years of youth work. I've tried to help people where I can. I've sponsored kids through World Vision and I give to different things. 
I like to think that I've done my, well, that I've done and that I do my part in the world. But if I'm being honest, most of my life revolves around me. Our first inclination as human beings is to think about what is best for ourselves. We think and sometimes even say things like, it's my money, it's my choice. I want insert all of our individual preferences here. We put ourselves at the centre of our lives. In Matthew 16 verses 24, Jesus challenges our internal wiring. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? The cross is an image of sacrifice, of denial and dying to self. The invitation to follow Jesus comes with the clause that it will cost us dearly. Jesus calls us to make him the center of our lives. And that means that God's will trumps our desires. It means that when he calls, we are supposed to act. And if we do that, he promises that we will find life in him and with him. But we can't have one without the other. There must be a death to our old life before there can be a resurrection of a new one. Put simply, we need more of Jesus. We must saturate ourselves in his presence. The second barrier that I can sense is comfort. Whether it's our cars, houses, holidays, or the people we choose to socialize with, we seek to make our life as easy and as enjoyable as possible. And the problem with this is the more comfortable our lives become, the harder we find it to give it up. We see this in the story of the rich man in Mark chapter 10, verses 20, uh, 21 to 22. It says, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him and said, there is still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell all your possessions and give your money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. Note that last line, for he had many possessions. The more we have, the more we must give up. Our comfort makes it harder for us to serve Jesus. Maybe we need to seek discomfort. Maybe we need to look for ways where we can go without to remind ourselves of those who are less privileged. The third barrier that I can see that gets in, in the way of us living out God's mission is proximity. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 to 36, it says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Notice that all of these acts of love and generosity, we must first know someone who is in need. I know that if I turned up to church hungry or thirsty or sick or I needed clothes, this community would care for me. If I stole Grant's car and ended up in prison, I reckon people in this church would come and visit me. Why? Because you know me. Because we have relationship. Because you love Jesus 
And I'd like to think you love me. You know, I reckon this community would do the same for anyone that turned up and had need. And I know that it happens all the time. But a challenge that we have in this part of the North Shore is that we live in a place of exceptional privilege, privilege that distances us from the poor. We can afford to live in nicer areas that the poor can't afford to live in. We do activities that the poor can't afford to do. We work in careers that the poor often don't work in because otherwise they wouldn't be poor. This doesn't mean that we don't have anything to do with the poor because there are plenty of jobs and places we go in areas that we live where the poor are in our midst. And it doesn't mean that we don't know people who are struggling because there are people who are struggling everywhere. However, the point still stands. The richer we are, the more we are removed from the poor, who are usually the most vulnerable in society. This is unless we choose to go against the societal norms and live amongst the poor, to intentionally put ourselves in spaces where we engage with people who do not have the same choices or options that we have. Maybe we need to get a bit closer to the poor. So those are the three barriers that I've been grappling with over the last couple of months. What one sticks out to you? And is there anything that you might need to ruminate more on? I want to finish by focusing on five habits that will hopefully help us to overcome these barriers. They come from Michael Frost's book called Surprise the World, The Five Habits of Highly Missional People. The five habits spell the acronym BELLS. They're easy to remember, but they're not so easy to do. So if you thought the challenging part was over, hold on for just another five minutes and, and we'll get there soon. The first uh, habit is bless. Find one person who you can bless each week. You could help anyone, but ideally help someone who, you would, fit into the uh, who would fit into the category of the last, the least, or the lost. Someone who is really struggling in life. Because these people are the people that Jesus calls us to help. And I reckon it's pretty easy to bless people who have things pretty good already. It's kind of like a convenient opt-out. The second thing, the second habit, is to eat. Eat with someone who you wouldn't normally eat with. This is about building relationships with people who have different perspectives and stories that challenge our own understanding. This addresses the comfort and proximity barriers, as it requires closeness. And closeness grows empathy. We care about those that we have relationship with. The third habit is to listen. Set aside a part of your week to listen to the Holy Spirit. Go for a walk around your neighborhood, find a park where you won't be disturbed. Listen to what or where or who God might be calling you to. You know, right now there is a leadership crisis among the churches in our Baptist movement. We don't have enough people training for pastoral ministry. Aratahi, the missional arm of our movement, has places for teachers and engineers, medical staff, social workers and lawyers, yet no one is stepping up to fill that gap. We have a whole, um, a whole lot of local ministries such as sports chaplaincy or prison ministries and other initiatives within our church that need people. I'm sure Jesus is calling people. The question is, are we listening? The fourth habit is to set aside some, oh, the fourth habit is to learn, to learn Christ. Set aside some time in your week where you can learn about Jesus, read the Gospels, start reading books or, or listening podcasts about him. 
do a course here at Windsor or, or through Kerry. Immerse yourself in who Jesus is and find out what it means to follow him. Can I just say that, that Sunday services are not enough if you want to grow. It's a good start, but it's, it's kind of like trying to feed yourself by eating one meal a week. If we want our faith to flourish, we must feed it daily. The fifth habit is to be sent. It's simply journal or reflect on ways that you have brought others' attention to Jesus. Having a yarn to someone when you're in an Uber, being friendly to the local cafe owner. Simply take interest in someone else's life and, if appropriate, you may have an opportunity to share something about who Jesus is. I've, personally, I've found that the more intentional I am, the more I see God at work. And it's incredibly exciting. So that's bells. Bless, eat, listen, learn, and scent. The hope is that as we do these practices, we might just get closer with the lost, the last, and the least. And we will increasingly reflect the life of Jesus and experience the fulfillment that comes with it. Thank you for joining our audio teaching today. If there are ways that we can continue to support you or help you in your journey, please reach out to us. Head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz and you'll find various ways to contact us. God bless.